following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And And this this is is Box Box Office Office 30. 30. Welcome to the review for Kindergarten Cop. I am joined, as usual, by my good friend and co-host, Michael. How are you today, sir? I'm well, thank you. I I watched the movie today, so I'm fully prepared (laughs) for what we're about to talk about. I feel like you and I need to, besides like putting time aside to come and do these recordings, need to put aside time to watch the movie on kind of the same day. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) because I feel like what keeps happening is like in this instance, I watched the movie like a week or so ago now. You watched it a while ago. You told me. Yeah, maybe even two weeks ago now. I think it was like right after the previous recording. (laughs) And then it's now sort of floating back out of my head. (laughs) So previous to this uh, recording, I've been like, um, you know, like fast forwarding through it and being like, wait, what was this? What was this? Because my notes are definitely a little disjointed here today. So. Uh, I don't know how much that's going to translate over, but we'll see. Anything's better than uh, than last time. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for those who who caught the uh, last episode, I put a little explainer in the beginning there, but we had a uh, massive technical audio failure, and uh, poor Michael ended up having to re-record all of his audio. So anytime you hear Michael talking in that episode, it's I'm talking to myself re-recorded. eventually. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Listening back to me and Tom and, and that. So uh, it's amazing. We were able to piece together as much of it as we did, but hopefully we can avoid that going forward here in the future. <laughs> well, I've got, um, as I was just telling Michael, what turned out to somehow be nine pages worth of notes, which is ugh, how the heck did I do that? <laughs> for, for those of you listening Ignore that part because you're going to assume this is going to take four hours to get through (laughs) and you might be ducking out right now, which would be a problem. And I promise you, we will keep it under two hours is my goal. Okay. Yeah, we're we're going to do this thing. This isn't going to be um, uh, (laughs) Dances with Wolves long, I don't think. The movie's an hour and 50 minutes. We're not going to go longer than the movie. I promise you. (laughs) So with that in mind, how about we just dive right on into this thing? Okay. All right. So uh, the movie opens on Arnold uh, looking like a homeless person. Would you say? (laughs) Like kind of an interesting look for an action hero. He's like a homeless psychopath, it looks like. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because, you know, like you think about the look that he has in some of his various movies and he's got like that like real like. Especially with like Terminator 2 coming up like that, like real tough guy in the leather with the glasses and everything. 
this he's got like a big old duster and he just like looks like he hasn't shaved at all and like i don't know he just he's just he's on crack or something but and i thought so, that was so, uh super dark sunglasses that look like they were like he like <laughs> borrowed them from sylvester stallone in like cobra and they're too small for his head yes <laughs> yes no totally um and he's uh he's in a mall which i love how 90s that is you know <laughs> like and I, I i need to point out so you 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 know the next thing you see after you see uh schwarzenegger is you see the the antagonist crisp and the thing that was the most jarring about that for me was he's smoking a cigarette in the mall, walking around, no big deal, just smoking butts. Like <laughs> I was like, this you can't get more nineties than that. I mean, when you have you seen a cigarette being smoked in a mall? I, I don't know if I've ever seen that, let alone in a movie. Yes, for sure. So he's obviously um, trying to follow him, and uh, this leads to Danny, who's a uh, drug dealer, and he's trading info on Crisp's family. So we're like, oh, what's going on here? Um, and he, I found that he was very concerned with how everyone's looking. Like, he's kind of like, Oh, you look good. Oh, I look good. Everybody looks good. Like, I don't know. He's like really stumbling over himself, yes. him and his girlfriend. He was like acting all smooth. Like he's just going to like trade off this information and get big money. And then as soon as he sees crisps, he's like, uh, wetting his pants or something like that. But at any rate, he, uh, trades him information that, um, his family is in Astoria, Astoria elementary school in Oregon. Um, so funny thing about this, um, Astoria is a real place, uh, in Oregon. Yeah, um, yeah. and funny enough, when I was looking up some information about this, I realized that this was also the filming location for, um, short circuit and Goonies. Really? Yeah. So That's a little bit of, uh, movie history in this particular town. Uh, so I think, I don't know if it made it into the recall, but I thought it was like Chicago and some sort of outskirts of Chicago. Now, here's the weird thing about this particular movie. Schwarzenegger and his partner are cops in L.A., right? Yep. How would they possibly have jurisdiction to go be cops (laughs) in Oregon? (laughs) Yes, we'll get to that for sure. I mean, I feel like there's um, some really big plot holes Huge where you have to plot. suspend your disbelief um, quite a bit on on why they would be doing this. Yeah, again, because, you know, this is one of these funny things. And I don't know if it's because people, I mean, not that you and I are any kind of experts. I mean, we're armchair experts just from watching movies ourselves. But like, you know, point in case with him, you know, when we jump a little bit further ahead here and he finally meets his partner, Phoebe, um, it doesn't really make much sense because. You know, they're supposedly both detectives in this same police department and they've never met each other, have no clue who they are. He works as as a loner, you know, sort of thing. But as you say, he's not like he's not like a DEA agent or something. It's not like they're like some like local wing of the FBI or CIA or something like that. The jurisdiction thing definitely doesn't make sense for them jumping to to Oregon and whatever. So I don't know. They're undercover detectives in Los Angeles, and it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Like if this guy is this like big drug dealer with like you know looking for three million dollars in cash, that would get escalated to the FBI like immediately, immediately. So I I digress. So so just to jump back for a second, just before we we lose it, because it it does sort of set the plot running here. Um, Crisp kills poor Danny. 
um, and doesn't realize that Danny's girlfriend is a witness to this. She's like hiding in a box nearby. Um, so, uh, you know, um, Arnold comes across her and like handcuffs her to the corpse, which I'm like necessary, I guess. Like, I guess he doesn't want her to, to run off or something like that, but like, oh man, that's grim. And, so- uh, he chases down, um, Crisp, who is now met with his mother elsewhere in this mall. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening a lot. Um, in this mall and I had forgotten I forgot all the crisp of mother character like we didn't catch that in I, the recall either I forgot about her too and I thought about that as well I completely forgot about her I also thought that the first 10 minutes of this movie this movie is marketed to families and kids <laughs> crisp shoots Danny with a silencer with two in the chest and I was like whoa <laughs> right at the gate no, you're so right. It is funny because I, with some of these movies we've been reviewing, have been um, allowing Zoe to see it. So, like, we watched um, one of the last ones, not Dances with Home Wolves, Alone, but I don't know. Home Alone, of course, yes. Home Alone, uh, you see how shot my memory is, um, together and things like that. So, I, you know, this one came along and I was like, oh, maybe I'll let Zoe watch it with us. And Angela's like, I don't know about that. And the funny part was I had forgotten a little bit of quite how violent and how dark this movie does get at times, because as you say, for all intents and purposes, it's like a Christmas release window and it's like a family ish feeling movie with the little kids in the movie. But yeah, it's, it's got some violent ends to it for sure. It's bookended by a violent beginning and a violent end. And Dory even says to me, because she, she watched this one with me and she's like, wow, I forgot how dark and violent this movie was. And it is. It's very strange that it's like it's like two different movies in one, in a sense. It's funny, too. Again, like in my little bit of research outside of the movie, um, I saw that actually of all people arguing against the violence in this movie was Arnie. Um, He wanted to keep it a little bit more in that sort of family zone. And Reitman was the one pushing um, for it to actually have that more violent end because he sort of felt that the end of the movie would have more impact and more meaning given that like it, it truly had these you know where it wasn't just all like goofy silly fantasy sort of stuff that it actually had these like really grounding violent moments um but funny enough uh, schwarzenegger was disappointed then with the box office on it because it didn't do the numbers that um like uh, junior and twins did um because i think you know they didn't have maybe necessarily that reach because it was a little bit more violent or at least right. that's what he attests to it so just kind of interesting it is interesting so yes, so we fu- we we get back and, and now Schwarzenegger tracks uh, Crisp and his mother to a salon where Crisp is about to get a manicure and Schwarzenegger comes in guns you know drawn and then literally every mall cop in the entire mall <laughs> converges instantly on this salon and all the mall cops have guns too and I'm like I've never seen a- I worked in a mall for. 10 almost 10 years i've never seen a mall cop with a gun <laughs> not once <laughs> not once uh, yeah and then this is also like the intro for one of the first very quotable things i'm a cop you idiot <laughs> you know yes. detective and john kimball <laughs> so many lines in this movie and i forgot how many of his most quotable you know e-bombs world lines come from this yes <laughs> yes yes the uh the good old sound boards right <laughs> oh god i used them a lot in college i loved calling the place <laughs> and ordering pizza and some of that 
<laughs> so, so yes, this is our first full introduction to Detective John Kimball. Um, and uh, from there, um, uh, where was I going to go with that? <laughs> so, so yeah. So then, you know, we we caught Crisp, and then we have the handcuffed uh, drug addict girlfriend is in the interrogation room with right. what we are going to find out is going to be Crisp's partner. We don't know her yet. She's just interrogating this this uh, witness. And I love the cliche that happens in this scene of people realizing that um, there are other people behind the two-way glass. It's like that people either don't know it or forget about it or whatever. And it's like, I see you in there. <laughs> like, I, I know you're watching me. I know you're watching yeah. me. <laughs> No kidding. So anyway, yes, as we said, um, fast forwarding here, he meets Phoebe. Um, they become partners, even though he's not too keen on that. Um, but the, his first act with a new partner is to go off again by himself to go um, get that witness again, because like they, for some reason, let her out and he decides that they need her. Um, so he like shows up at this place and I love it. <laughs> you know, like We're there's just- these people outside the place. And he pulls up in his car. He's like, I'm Detective John Kimball and I love my car. And they're like, all right, man. And like, he's got this shotgun and they're like, don't want, you know. And, and he's just like, the thing is, we never see the car again after that scene. Never again, yeah. <laughs> but so like he goes into this like drug den, I guess you could say. Yeah. And he is just guns blazing, firing <laughs> off a shotgun with endless bullets for a shotgun. And I'm like, Wow. The best part, too, is that he's not really, like, hurting anybody, like, with the gun. Like, you know, he's just using it for, like, scaring people. But, like, he does, like, kind of, like, come to blows with a few people. And I thought it was, like, like, I don't know, like, really weak. Like, he'll sort of just, like, kind of push somebody and they're just, like, fly, like, across. And, like, that's them out for the count there. And I was, like, you know, it, it seems kind of, like, contrary to sort of how we've seen in, you know, some of these other action movies, particularly the, uh, Seagal type movies and things like that, you know, like really, uh, I don't know, kind of silly, but <laughs> they're like, who are you? And he's like, I'm the party pooper. Hi, Cindy. <laughs> so, so the funny thing about that is I, I was watching that scene very closely because it was Ivan Reitman's attempt at doing an action movie. And it's, it's not particularly shot well, it's lit to look like a grimy, you know, place, but it's it's shot like, you know, a comedy writer trying to shoot an action movie. And and it's you could it, it doesn't feel natural the way it's shot. And then, you know, like he said, yeah, literally all of the drug addicts fall over within one second of him, like brushing <laughs> them. And then he takes the shotgun and shoots it through a couch and the hole inside of this couch could <laughs> could land an airplane it blew up this thing so big it was like holy crow it's crazy yeah but obviously like he has this kind of like back and forth with her she just sits there on the couch everybody else all clears out and it was a great back and forth too because he's like oh it was actually kind of creepy he's like yeah. I've got he's nowhere like, to go. I'll be here. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I'm gonna hang out with you till the end of time. <laughs> Great line. Yeah. Um, and so it gets her to you know come back as a witness. Um, and we sort of find out at this point that one of the reasons they're interested in finding the wife is that supposedly she stole three million dollars in drug money from Crisp. That's kind of like what um Cindy informs him of, like why like this is a big deal and what's going on. 
seems like a detail they might have had outside of this character, but whatever. Yeah. It's 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 kind of a B plot to the movie in the sense that like like the the money is mentioned maybe twice in the whole film. The beginning, like this part right here, and then toward the end of the movie. But it's like it's not a significant portion of the movie. It's more of like they just want to lock Crisp up for being a drug dealer or whatever, and they need the wife to to do it. And the money. Yeah, and there's a certain everything. faction that also is really looking to recover this money. Like they, like the government really wants this money um, back, um, and so they again, have to like sort of dig her up for it. Right. And again, the government wants this money. Why are cops going after it? This is an FBI investigation, people. <laughs> so uh, Arnie informs us, you know, like he's he's starting to like uh, chat with Phoebe and he's sort of going through who they each were and sort of she indicates that she was a teacher before joining the force, which is apparently what makes her qualified um, to be kind of doing this undercover mission where they need to go and um, find this wife and son and they have no idea what they look like. They don't know their names because they've changed their names and everything. Right. Um, so they come up with this idea that they're going to play a married couple and that Phoebe will be the teacher. My question is, why is Kimball even there then at this point? Like, you know, his his um, lead officer, his sergeant, whatever it is, sort of like says to him, like, she'll teach and you'll find the wife and the money. But like they kind of need to find the kid, to find the wife, to find the money. So like his involvement seems pointless. And then obviously when the script gets flipped here, then her purpose there also seems really pointless, you know? The other, um, thing, the other thing is, like, you know, they they establish that they're in Astoria, Oregon, but they don't necessarily... There's no clue that says that this kid is in this school, is in this particular class that they're looking for. Well, again, that's actually the only bit of information they do have to go off, which is because that um, Cindy and uh, her boyfriend knew that. That's what the information was that they gave to Crisp in the beginning. I totally so that's the information. Totally yeah, and again, like it's, I think you may have to make like the logical leap that that's the same information that, that they would go off of. Um, but that's like the only lead in, is that they don't know like the names or whatever since they've changed it, but they know that, that they, they were spotted at this school um, for whatever reason. Why this random drug guy was like up in Oregon at this kid's school and when he's apparently normally... In LA, I don't know, but <laughs> whatever. So at any rate, they end up on a, a flight up to Oregon, which again, I don't know, it seems like they could have just driven. <laughs> you missed a key point. So uh Phoebe throughout throughout this, you know, first ten minutes of the movie, she's constantly eating. <laughs> and and she makes a point to say that she's hypoglycemic and has to keep eating all the time. And, you know, Kimball makes jokes about it here and there, and then we're on this airplane. Right. Which, and again, like I was about to mention, she's eating a ton on the airplane then, which like, you know, airplane food, especially in the nineties, I don't know, sketchy, but it's, I'm happy you brought that back up about the hypoglycemic thing because I don't, you know, hypoglycemic is that you can easily end up with um, low blood sugar. You know what I mean? It's like a symptom of like diabetes, things like that. It's actually the reverse of diabetes, believe it or not. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever known anybody that is hypoglycemic that has to just eat and eat and eat. Am I wrong about that? Is I mean, like, 
So uh, I don't know if you, I mean, I, I was tested once for hypoglycemia when I was a kid. And it was more about just like, you know, not necessarily eating a lot, but it was like the fear was if you didn't eat the right amount, you'd get anemic. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe somebody out there that, that has information better than me on that. But I mean, I think they're also playing this up to a character trope, a really yeah. silly kind of comedic thing. But like, it does seem really over the top how much she's constantly scarfing down on things. It's a way to shoehorn in like the, the stomach bug kind of a thing. Yes. So at any rate, um, they end up, you know, off their flight and, and she gets very sick from, you know, in the middle of the flight. And then we have this joyful music um, sort of <laughs> uh, montage of her, I'm assuming, throwing up maybe some diarrhea. I don't know, because she runs for the bathroom at the gas station at one point um, I, I, in the I, car I, ride. Then I had to make note of the, the gas station thing because she runs into the gas station place and comes out with a key on a hubcap. And yes. it was like, so <laughs> hilarious. It was so good. <laughs> yeah, they don't want uh, anybody running off with their key, I guess, so they've tied Fair. it to that. Um, so she eventually makes a point of mentioning to him, like she's kind of like half sick in the car and whatever in the backseat of the car. As she says to him that the reason she quit teaching, because, you know, we had asked Tom about this, like, you know, how likely is it to go from teaching into a clear in, in, in the police, uh, you know, whatever, but... Um, she quit teaching because she was um, getting really sick of other people's kids and she was afraid she didn't wouldn't want to have any of her own when it came time. Um, now, this is clearly some ways down the road and she does not have kids of her own yet. You know? But uh, I, I just kind of like I was like, that's an interesting sort of thing. And, you know, I, there's been other people I've met in my lifetime that have left the teaching profession for various reasons. And probably among them is they realize the uh, pitfalls of of what it really truly means to be dealing with kids like that. But uh, yeah. what a, what a leap in career over to <laughs> detective police work, I guess after that, because you think it would have taken a while to become a detective too, you know? Right. Like you got to go through the Academy. You got to be a, a beat cop and, you know, go through narcotics and all those different stages before you can become a detective. You got like at least 12 plus years of being, you know, a cop to get to the level of detective, if you ever get to a level of detective. Yes. So um, Arnie, is worth mentioning, kind of mentions that he has a 13-year-old son at this point in this conversation, but it, it doesn't really ever quite come back up as far as redemption with his own kid or family, but it does play a part down the road. So worth yeah. just mentioning that he brings that up here. What does come up here that definitely plays a bigger part is all of a sudden his ferret shows up in the back of the car. <laughs> now, first of all, I love the idea that this like badass like detective with his shotgun running around chasing <laughs> drug dealers has got a pet ferret. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's also very 90s of him. Like, I mean, was there a weirder pet for people to have in the 90s than a ferret? And I knew a few people who did. <laughs> My cousin had an albino one once, and it was the weirdest. Uh. <laughs> so bizarre. But yeah, it, you know, it's, it's a weird thing, and it was, it was a very cliche pet to have at that time. The funny part about it is, like, they flew to Oregon. She, yes. <laughs> they would have had to have checked their bags and checked an animal. And if they are traveling together, how is this moment in the car the first moment she sees this animal? 
Yeah, particularly because I think it like came out of his coat or something. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so like, did he have that in his pocket on the plane the whole time? Like, took it through <laughs> that craze. No big deal. Yeah. That's great. So at any rate, you know, obviously it's decided that he is going to have to take over for her um, because they need to start this investigation at the school the next day. Um, what I really appreciate in, in really great uh, moments in 90s fashion, and we've talked about Arnold's fashion in, in some of these 90s movies before, um, is that he dresses for his first day of school in a corduroy jacket with a I gun inside. <laughs> I had a corduroy jacket. I think we all did. There was a lot more corduroy happening back in that era. <laughs> I, I still rock corduroy in the winter. I have corduroy pants still to this day. I love <laughs> But yes, I had a corduroy jacket that was, I think it was green kind, kind of like yeah I, I love that kind of jacket so comfortable i'll admit to some corduroy in the 2000s still but i have not, i've been corduroy free for probably a good decade or so now i think <laughs> well not a, not I'm all not judging <laughs> yeah, i'm okay. not judging but but uh, yeah the corduroy thing i'm i have gotten past in my at least my professional career and on, on the side i'm not in the corduroy on the, the weekend they're so comfortable though they're so comfortable <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so like so you know he's got the the jacket on and you know she's looking him up and down she's still kind of half out of it and she goes leave the gun and he goes oh good idea he takes the gun off and then he has this like kind of funny little line where he's like you know the kindergartners or they're six-year-olds how much trouble could they be and then she goes on second thought take the gun <laughs> yes yeah and this is what's great is like she she's a character that doesn't have a ton of screen time but when she is on the screen i feel like she does half steal the show because she has some really great um chemistry with him and she has some really great kind of one-liners herself that sort of stands up to the stuff that's coming out of his mouth so i think she's oh, yeah. a really fun character every, every scene she's in she steals the scene she's very funny and she's there's, a, there's only one weird thing that happens with her later on in the movie, which I'll get to later. <laughs> but so he ends up at the school and he's waiting to meet with the principal. And this is when he first runs into Joyce. And I had a real WTF moment at this point in time because Joyce is coming over and scolding a little boy because a little girl, Jenny, had, quote, poisoned his hamsters. And his reaction of that was to punch her. She's telling him it's not right to punch her. Uh, poisoned his hamsters like what like what is the background of this story this seems like almost like an onset last minute joke or something that was written in like like, like what is the scenario for this like jenny went over to this boy's house and poisoned his hamsters? Style, like yes yeah like what <laughs> and like eight-year-old serial killer <laughs> If, if somebody came over and poisoned my hamsters, I would punch them too. And you know what? I don't think the school should be stepping in in that instance. <laughs> I think that's fair. What the heck? They need to get somebody on that little girl and be watching her. She might be a future murderer. <laughs> yeah, seriously. This, some questions have to be asked in that conversation. Yes. So weird moments in, in, in spots of movies like that. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, he meets with the principal and she has an interesting thing that she points out. And this, this is something that was probably ringing in the back of Tom's head, which is that they're four weeks into a new semester and that she was forced to replace a teacher of 25 years with a police officer. Her superintendent decreed this with no other information. And she's asking him, like, can he explain why? And he's like, no, I can't, whatever. 
that seems like a stretch. You know? <laughs> it's it's a, it's a huge stretch. It's it, I think it, I okay. forgot that they actually canned a teacher of twenty five years for this. You know what yeah. I mean? And especially when we get to the end of the movie and you realize that like he's spoiler alert going to become a permanent fixture at this school. What the heck? <laughs> Without going to college to be a teacher, might I add? <laughs> yeah, that was some forced retirement situation there on whoever had been there. That's that's kind of sad. <laughs> the victims, the unseen victims of yeah. this movie. <laughs> bizarre. It is a little bizarre. It, it, you know, it almost would have been better if they had said, "Okay, we're bringing in an assistant teacher or like a like a student teacher learning to be a teacher." Right. Yeah, and this is what Tom had sort of indicated last time, which is that, like, why wasn't she a TA? You know what I mean? Like, why wasn't she brought in as an extra? And why wasn't then he um, in that case? Which obviously then blends into this next scene, which is that they go to meet the class. And it's just like a kid-filled classroom, no supervision, no parents are there. The kids are just running around crazy. And it's like, you know, we know that the the uh, principal has a assistant. Like, why wasn't she even there just like watching them or whatever? You know, well, there, there was a lady in the room when they first. Showed. Yeah. Uh, maybe I missed her in there. It's a blink. Okay, so, never mind. <laughs> so she brings him in and starts introducing him to the class. And this is where we first meet Lowell, who um, becomes one of the possible suspect um, kids as as a child whose dad is somewhere else. And man, Lowell's all about death. <laughs> all about that death. They love it. Did he die? Did she yes. die? And, and it's yes. like a trope for this character throughout the whole movie. And it's he- funny too, because like, you know, I think we chatted a little bit about it. And I don't recall, unfortunately, if this is one of the bits that we had to drop out of out of last week. And if so, I, I again apologize to Tom because he did bring up the um, poor quality in some cases of the child acting in this movie but you know like this kid in particular is very deadpan and i can't tell if that's because he's acting deadpan or if like they just hired a kid that like he's just like is he dead she's <laughs> like like something weird like that i'd be curious how this kid turned out as an adult <laughs> i i think this kid also appears on a couple of episodes of full house a couple of years later around this time I, I mean, like, I don't know if in addition, the, the other little kid, like the um, boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. He becomes a full regular on on Full House in the yeah, later portion of time. So I don't know if you mean this kid in addition to that or if you're thinking of that kid um, now, as well. A, there's another kid in that class who is the son in Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. There's a number of kids that like end up going on to do um, a bunch of different things. I mean, the other little girl. Um, who, Emma? Like. Yes, Emma. Like, obviously, she's also the girl from Beethoven, um, which is relative around this time. I don't think she kept a career going much yeah. further after those few movies at that point. But it, some of these kids do end up in that thing. And then I think I also read somewhere in in researching this that um, Elijah Wood was up for this movie. He had he had auditioned for this movie and didn't get the part. And he claims to date that it's the worst audition he's ever done in his life, which I guess as a child actor, you can forgive him for. Yeah. But interesting that we we missed out on a very young Elijah Wood also possibly popping up in this uh, in this class mm-hmm. of characters. But also some of these kids don't look like they're kindergartners. Some look a little bit older as well. See, funny thing is I have a hard time juggling how old or young these kids are. For me, it seems like some of these kids almost feel too young. And then as you say, characters like Lowell 
almost seem like they were a little bit older. So I don't know if they did cast kids of varying ages to, to stick in this slot. Um, I do think some of the choices they make about it being a kindergarten class are a little strange. Um, but yes, they do seem all over the place for sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, the principal, I, I feel like uh, she's almost like Roz from Monsters, Inc. She's like, I'm always watching you, Wazowski. <laughs> you know, like she's, she's like always creeping out his window and everything. I think she literally even says that line like at one point, like I'm always watching. So I just thought that was very funny. I was curious if Roz was a uh, slight takeoff from this character uh, with that sort of thing. But uh, as we said, uh, you know, he starts like learning about some of these kids and the, the one little guy raises his hand. Boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. Thanks for the tip. You know, <laughs> another great little um, one-liner out of it. <laughs> funny enough, that that same line comes back later in the movie. As, yes, like, yes. Like, All right. <laughs> so speaking of Emma, um, she immediately raises her hand, um, and uh, she can't get her um, suspenders off. And what I thought was very bizarre is that he couldn't get the suspenders off. <laughs> you know, like it wasn't like one of these like situations in one of these movies where it's like he's an older man teacher and she's a young girl and he feels awkward about it. He like starts trying to fumble with it. And he's like, I'll get you help. <laughs> so um, obviously he this is where he then kind of like officially meets Joyce. He goes yeah. and, and finds her teaching her third grade class. You know how you how you asked me? Um, I, I had mentioned that Ivan Reitman's daughter was in the third grade class. Yes. The girl that comes up to the front of the classroom to like continue reading whatever Joyce was teaching. The letter E, yes. <laughs> yeah. That is Ivan Reitman's daughter who's in that show Working Moms now. Gotcha. Yes. And I love Catherine Reitman. I mean, she's somebody that um, I, I had a slow burn on figuring her out at first. She had a great character in uh, It's Always Sunny um, that just becomes like a wackier and wackier recurring character um, as the course of the show goes on. Um, eventually becoming a human cat. <laughs> um, and so like that's where like, I think I, my first introduction to her was. But yes, Working Moms is an amazing show and she's so good in it. Um, so fun, fun. I didn't. I was trying to piece together which one that was. So thank you for filling in that gap for me. I, do um, I think I do. his son is the one later on that's making out um, the, during the, the fire. Boy. Yes, yes. He's yes, the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, yes. Yeah, so uh, you know, he meets up with Joyce. She goes off to to help the Emma, and uh, she has this this line like, "Oh, kindergarten is like the ocean. You you should never turn your back on it." And he turns around, and like the room is just pure havoc. Like the kids are like, like like putting paint all over the walls, and like just tearing the room apart and running around like maniacs. And I was like. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I wish we still had Tom here to sort of ask if like, this is like what, it, you know, Tom would tell you like not to ever leave the room alone for sure. But like, you know, if he's ever come across a scenario where like kids are this insane, you know, <laughs> yes, just bananas. So he comes in, he doesn't know how to deal with it and has this great shot where the camera just like pans up to him and he's just like, his face is looking like he's ready to explode. And he's just like, shut up shut up and like all of a sudden all the kids start you know like weeping and he's like oh no don't do that now no <laughs> like, his whole reaction is he like again leaves them alone yes. runs outside the school gets out and just like like puts his arms in the air screams you know? longer than before like yes for sure yeah like completely leaves the school this time 
and he runs out to his car and gets his ferret. Now, here's another WTF moment. Like, what is going on with this ferret? I'm assuming that, you know, he's going somewhere he needs to take care of it. He doesn't have family or friends around his home. So he's brought it with him and everything on this trip. But now he's bringing it and leaving it in the car during the school day. I mean, like, at least leave it with his partner back at the hotel room. <laughs> Yeah, it's so weird it's so random and it's like it's just it's so like i don't know but it's it's a stretch but whatever i was letting i mean i guess in oregon you're not gonna have those like 110 degree car weather sort of things or something like that but it does seem weird to bring the ferret with you in the car um anyway he gets back um and he he introduces the ferret as the new class pet which i like one of the kids is like what's wrong with your dog you know he's like this is not a dog he's a ferret you know that's also lol that says yeah that. that's no no i think it's some other kid in that instance one of these like other like one liner kids um but uh he, you know all the kids are petting it and like this ferret i got to say very well behaved ferret cuz like, ferrets are known for their biting and he sort of even like one of the kids is like i think maybe it's lol says like, oh, is he going to bite? And he's like, no, he does not bite, which obviously becomes like a, a thing later on in the movie. Yeah. Um, but he also has his, now we having fun, you know? <laughs> so again, like, uh, just like ridiculous lines that is in this thing. So he gets past this class and Dominic stays after as everybody else has, has exited it out. And this is his first like real true intro to Dominic. Um, and, uh, he starts like helping him kind of, uh, clean up after the class. He's a little bit of an old soul. Um, but he's like, he's telling him like, oh, my mom's a better teacher than you. And he's like, okay. And he's just like, oh, and my, my gym teacher on the weekends and my friend's cousins, whatever. And like, he's just like listing all hey, they're better too. You know? And it's <laughs> like, damn, this is insult to injury. But and he ends the thing on like, is there anybody that isn't better than me? And he's like, I'm only six years old. I don't know a lot of people or something like that. <laughs> you know? It's just like, that's great. And uh, I, I love it. I mean, it's just like, there's, you know, we talked about the writer in the previous half of this, but like, there's a lot of just like really great writing and lines in this movie like that, a that I, I really do appreciate. So anyway, he ends up back at the motel. Dude is shot, collapses on the bed. I mean, I feel like you and I know how this feels with even just the two kids, you know, so I get that. But, uh, <laughs> he sort of says, yes, he sort of says something to Phoebe along the lines of like, you got to swap out with me tomorrow. I can't do this. And she says back to him that if they swapped out now, it would blow their cover. Now, this seems really unlikely to me. They're sort of insinuating that she's like essentially well enough ish now that she could yeah. take over the next day but like why would this be i mean like anybody who's ever had a substitute teacher knows that like it's gone here today gone tomorrow you know like right. they swap out multiple substitutes all the time there's nothing about like him being there for a day and then having somebody different for the rest of the time would really you know be a thing so right. again odd plot holes she's just sitting around the hotel all day every day doing nothing there's no, research computer, there's no internet yeah. there's, you know they're not they're not going she's not going to another, another precinct or like anything yeah she's just there in the hotel like doing yes. nothing you know there's no cell phones <laughs> she's not even making a phone call who's she calling yes so next day back at the school um we see the kids getting off the school bus everything like that and i i thought i'd point this out because this is definitely one of these um 30 year doesn't hold up sort of things that there's a group of um, mothers sort of discussing the new teacher and they're like, Oh, he's a male teacher. He has to be gay. 
and they're kind of like saying all these kind of like you know down things on him and then of course like one of the kids comes along and is like oh there he is mom and they look at him and of course it's arnold then all of a sudden like the whole script is flipped and they get all doe-eyed and they're like oh they're like oh i don't have any makeup on it's like you you don't need makeup you're married you can look terrible all the time and it's just like yeah i was just like this is funny because i was like you know this is one of these sort of jokes that like would not past the mustard these days for sure you know who one of those women is in that in that scene who's that it's susan from seinfeld who plays george's oh really (laughs) (laughs) you know i think we need to start like a another podcast and i know we talk about like the other podcast we could be doing but i think you and i need to do like a seinfeld rewatch through because oh. you're like the in-house Seinfeld expert, I feel like you have like you like some of the people you're pulling, the things you pull from that. I'm like, man, I love Seinfeld, but I forgot all about that. <laughs> Dude, I watch a lot of Seinfeld, a lot. We have it on Hulu, but it's soon jumping to Netflix, so we'll have to, uh, you know, follow it over to Netflix, eh? <laughs> um, so we're in the classroom and we meet Sylvester's mom, which becomes like quasi a suspect because um he she's sort of mentions that um they're divorced and she's got a concern that his son is playing with dolls a lot which like all right whatever and he sort of says like oh well i can fix that for you he's using the dolls to look up girls skirts now i was like what (laughs) (laughs) i don't really quite know how the math on that works out but at any rate this becomes kind of another suspect possibly because the father is somewhere else in California, even though she says that the husband left for another man. Um, But again, like she becomes another one where she pops up and I almost wonder if they were going to do more with this character throughout this movie and try and make her. She's a big time actress. She's been in a lot, a lot of movies. She's famous and, and she doesn't show up only in two scenes. Well, that's the thing. And I feel like there's more scenes with her missing where they were trying to make it out like she was, you know, more of a suspect person, because obviously, you know, they kind of give like a few red herrings in here um, before they finally land on it being Dominic and Joyce. Um, Spoilers 30 years later. Yes, again. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody that's listening to these things, we're jumping ahead and spoiling some stuff here today. But like, as you say, like she comes in later with like, like, like a, for the fair, like with like a miniature horse or a donkey and like, like all this stuff. And it's just like, what? (laughs) And you're to assume like, you know, oh, where'd she get all this money from? Like she's, you know, had it, maybe she's got the $3 million and she's kind of spending it and so on and so forth. But in that same instance, I'm getting ahead of myself. They're trying to dissect if Joyce is the person as well so it seems like the scenes are a little bit disjointed or they wanted to lump yeah and they the other thing I would say is they almost come close to setting her up as like the floozy mom who like wants to get together with him and they kind of don't ever do that either like she doesn't really end up really showing that interest in him kind of I don't know just just a weird character with a weird dynamic but anyway there she is. <laughs> so it kind of goes into a number of scenes after this um, of sort of his daily grind with the kids. And, I, you know, I have to bring this one up just for another one of these uh, Arnold lines where he sees like this one little like, you know, kind of overweight kid. And the kid has like all of the other kids lunches like spread across the floor and he's eating all their lunches. And he's like, are you eating other kids lunches? 
stop doing that stop it and like the kid like spits the food out and he just like looks disgusted and like drops the kid (laughs) all righty um but this comes to one of probably i think the most famous lines out of this movie which is that he says oh we're gonna play a wonderful game today called who is my daddy and what does he do and uh starts uh you know trying to get the kids uh into this and like the kids are not really getting at first um how this game works and finally they do so then it's like this you know long thing of um uh kids you know starting to spit the stuff off of course he's getting frustrated with it and he's like oh i have a headache and lol's like oh it might be a tumor and he's like it's not a tumor you know another another big line right um so Lowell here becomes a suspect because his dad drives a taxi in New York and his mom hopes he'll die um, real soon. So that's probably where he's getting a little bit of his uh, morbidity sort of <laughs> stuff yeah. from, I guess. Um, and uh, the twins uh, pop up after the uh, somewhere in that thing. And our mom says our dad's a real sex machine. Wow. <laughs> like, is the mother saying that to the kids or are they just overhearing uh, the mother apparently saying that to other people? But it, Either it, way, it's sketchy. <laughs> it's super strange because there's a lot of the kids that get up there. They say horrible things like, you know, one kid goes, my dad doesn't work since the crash. And you're like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> a car accident or like the stock market crash. Like, what? Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another kid or something else is kind of depressing that they say. And there's a few funny ones where, like, uh, you know, Emma has a funny one, and a few other the boys have some funny lines to say. And then, you know, Dominic says his dad lives in France and he never met him. And it's like, right. like looking at it now, looking at that particular scene 30 years later, like as a kid, you find it funny. Now I look back at it. It's kind of depressing when you hear. Yes, yeah. There's some definitely um, like dark <laughs> things that these kids are yeah. spouting off. <laughs> so yes, as you say, uh, we we get a lead in that Dominic might be a suspect, and then our final suspect is a kid named Zach. And Zach has sort of sat off all by himself in the back of the room, and uh, Dominic sort of says, "Oh, he doesn't talk to anybody," which leads into all the other kids like calling him like a. Uh, a poo-poo head, a poo-poo face, a cock-a-poo-poo. I was like, man, there's a uh, poo-poo kick <laughs> amongst these I kids actually, for that one. I actually had to mute that because Grace walked in <laughs> in that moment. And I'm like, I don't want Grace to hear <laughs> kids call. She's going to go back to school, you know, and be like, hey, you're a poo-poo head. I'm like, no, I can't. Have yes. This. I don't want it. <laughs> so. So he tries to go over and talk to Zach a little bit, but they're um, interrupted by a fire drill. Now, as a police officer, I found it really funny that he panicked in a big, bad way. At this point, the kids were like loving it. They were like running around like insane people again. He comes running out of the school like like with two of them, like essentially like held up by like the belts of their pants or something, like just like dragging them out of the school. Um, So I thought that was that was interesting uh, as a police officer to have quite that reaction to what is a pretty simple fire drill yeah anyway skipping ahead a little bit here um he spots in the distance um mrs sullivan who's zach's mom and uh he's kind of calling after her but they sort of tear off in the car so this is this is sort of our our initial real like red herring he's starting to get a sense that maybe something's going on funky 
with them based on the way they're acting. And Zach also has very dark black hair like Chris. Yes, resembles Chris. Yes, exactly. Um, so, you know, he's becoming kind of, I think they're essentially, um, primary suspect. And they sort of say as much, um, when he meets back up with his, uh, partner Phoebe, um, and she's past her, she realizes at this point, she sort of says like, oh, I had a stomach flu. That's what it was. She's real hungry again now. Um, so they're kind of out about in the town and he's sort of listing off three possible suspects, which I think is probably Lowell, Dominic, and and Zach. Yeah. And although he does kind of make mention of, I think, that other um, person. So maybe he isn't quite on to one of the other two, or maybe he just miscounted. I don't know. But uh, they run into Joyce and Dominic at a restaurant. And um, <laughs> Phoebe makes an odd choice at this point, um, which I guess... In a way, they're a little locked into because he already made mention in an earlier scene that he wasn't married. Um, but she puts on an accent um, in an Australian or an Australian Austrian accent um, in the vein of of his and calls herself Ursula. Which, by the way, Michael has named himself Ursula for our podcast recording here tonight. <laughs> I'm always I'm always so thrilled to find out what name you're going to pick. I don't know if the listeners are or not, but I got to always throw it in there when it when it pops up. Hey, when it's a good one, I got to use it. Yeah. <laughs> so she claims to be his sister from Austria visiting him. And uh, he's like, hey, what are you doing? I, I thought we we're supposed to be married. And she relax, Butch. The love doctor is here. Uh, interesting choice that she decides to randomly just start setting him up with this woman while they're undercover on assignment. <laughs> yes. Oh, on assignment with, with who's potentially one of the suspects. You know what right. I mean? She's not a very good cop. I'll give her that. Yes. <laughs> so at any rate, this is where he starts some relationship building with Joyce and he sort of uses, he earlier in the movie says like, uh, my whole family's cops. My dad was a cop. My mom was a cop. I've been a cop for 12 years. And now that comes back up again. He's like, oh, I was born in Austria. My whole family's teachers. My dad was a teacher. My mom's teacher, you know, sort of thing. And she's like, well, how long have you been teaching? And he goes, this is my second day, you know. Um, no, 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 so- no, 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 He goes, uh, well, I was first teaching in Rhode Island as a gym teacher. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> then I taught psychology in like, you know, Albuquerque. He's like, correct. Oh, yes. Over the map. Like, like a teacher. Yeah, and he sort of says great. something on the lines of like, I realized like I couldn't help students in when high- they're older. So that's why I thought I could help them when they're like young in kindergarten. Odd logic, but okay. But then it's his second day of kindergarten teaching is what it was. That's you're so right. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's weird. I'm like, you know, being in higher education, I'm like you, you either get certified for high school or you get certified for elementary school. You don't get certified for both. It just doesn't happen. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyway, he's, he's still doing the, the teaching and he's getting beaten up by it. Um, and he has this conversation with Phoebe where he's uh, sort of saying like, Oh, they're pushing me around. They're walking all over me. And she says to him like, well, why don't you handle it? Like a police situation. Don't show any fear. Show no fear. So this gives him the idea to start up what he calls police school. So um, from here on out, he's kind of like got a new training regimen for the kids. He's kind of like running them through, you know, obstacle courses and he's having them do push ups and all this sort of thing. Um, That, you know, at this time, he was also appointed the U.S. fitness ambassador to George H. Bush when Bush was president. That's interesting timing. Yeah, I didn't realize that. <laughs> and, and he was the, the fitness and health 
ambassador for the United States under George H. Bush. That's pretty funny. Huh. So good timing with this movie then. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, you know, uh, he realizes that it's working. It's working great and everything. So, um, you know, there's a couple of nice little moments during this, like one um, particularly to the characters that end up in this, you know, um, he starts encouraging Zach, who ends up winning a little push-up contest, and he therefore gets to carry the ferret during their fire drills and things like that. So, you know, he's starting to help uh, Zach come out of his shell a little bit. Um, for me, one of the things that won everything is the farmer Arnie, oh, <laughs> where he's singing E-I-E-I-O to them. He's like got like the hat and like everything. <laughs> That's, that was fabulous. I really liked that point. <laughs> that was a good moment. And like Emma's thing and the whole thing is really cute. Exactly. So uh, this montage comes to an end um, where he's going to read the kids a book. Um, And the book is when we were very young. Um, And he sort of says to the kids that he used to read this to his son, Alex. This is where his son sort of pops up again. Right. um, In the way the story goes. And so he's talking to the kids a little bit about divorce. It takes a little bit more of like a heartfelt, serious tone in the moment and everything like that. Um, but, uh, it's just interesting because I think he's starting to have at this point in time, finally that turnaround in his character where he's realizing like kind of what he's lost in his life. And he's all of a sudden like this hard, you know, hard as nails cop is starting to realize that there's this soft spot in him for the kids. Yeah. And, you know, this is kind of like where his character arc starts kind of making the turn that it's ultimately going to make. Um, and, uh, you know, the kids all fall asleep. Um, and, uh, next thing we know, he's at his desk and he sort of has like, you can tell it's kind of like a little creepy, um, that he's sort of having this vision of crisp coming to kill him. And, you know, because crisp sort of does this like non-walking slide into the frame and shoots him. And then he like wakes up, um, you know, sort of thing. And at, at the same time, um, Joyce is walking into the room. Now I thought this was like an interesting character moment for him because he doesn't seem the fearful type that like this character of Chris would be haunting him in the way that he is. So I thought, I don't know. What'd you think about that? Interesting inclusion. So that moment, I mean, they don't, they don't paint crisp as like this, like he's, he's scary, but he's not terrifying in this movie. And they also don't paint him as like, you know, this lifelong arch nemesis of of Kimball, like he's a, a a bad guy that Kimball wants to catch, but like, and he hasn't been able to like stick, make something stick for him for right. a while. So he's like, like it's definitely a, like kind of a character, you know, like yeah. But I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting choice, and I remember actually. Funny thing is, I did have a recollection when I I saw this scene again that when I was younger and saw this movie that that scene actually scared me like that pretty bad. Me. Like I was like, Whoa, you know, like, that and I thought it was really him. And I was like, where did he come from? I thought he was under arrest still, you know, and everything like that. So I, it was funny that that made me um, jump back to that younger version of me thinking that. So uh, anyway, Joyce comes in and she's inviting him to dinner for the next night. And they have this kind of like little kind of, touching moment where she's sort of like wiping milk off his upper lip, which I'm like, it's like, it felt such like a funny character beat for this type of like tough guy character for him that he was like, apparently drinking the little milk cups that the little kids had. And like, 
by the way, like I, I was never somebody as a kid that drank the milk, but I do remember those carts of milk yes. in uh, elementary school. <laughs> so that was a fun callback um, as they were all drinking their little milks. Um, so anyway, he heads back to the motel for the day. And um, I don't know if it's because he's coming off of that dream, but he comes in and he's hearing some like weird noises. So he's very suspicious and he realizes somebody must be in the motel. He sees a different car in front of the the hotel. That's right. Yes. There's also the car out, out in front. Correct. Um, and he's hearing some noises. So he like pulls his gun and he's heading towards Phoebe's room. And uh, it turns out that it's her fiance in there. Now the weird part as an adult was that like, as he's getting closer to her door, it sounds like she's almost making like moaning noises as if she's, you know, having sex with somebody. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it turns out, you know, this is a this is a family podcast. I got to be careful. <laughs> I don't know what uh, Jason and Mickey are going to want bleeped out. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, it turns out that he's in there, but they're not even doing that. They're just naked in bed, like eating pasta. Yes. Gross. <laughs> I mean, like, I guess it goes back to her whole character thing in this movie. And of course, it turns out he's a chef. And like, it's like, of course, she would be marrying a chef of all things, you know, but. And so she's talking about like her favorite meal is this pasta aiolio. And I'm like, (laughs) I've been eating pasta my entire life. I've never on a restaurant on any menu in my entire life seen pasta aiolio in my entire life. <laughs> once. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you and I, I think both missed, uh, missed out on that one. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's, it's apparently her birthday surprise that he showed up. Um, I thought this was again, another weird thing. If she uh, uh, given, she's not doing much at the moment, but, but again, if she's on assignment undercover, you don't, doesn't that kind of break it for this random guy to like be showing up? Yeah. <laughs> Don't break. You don't tell your boyfriend, "Hey, I'm I'm in Oregon on assignment in this hotel. Come on up for the weekend and cook for me." <laughs> like, like what? She is very hungry, though. But but how did but how did he fly the food up? Because they don't have a kitchen in that hotel room. It's just like it's two bedrooms. Details. <laughs> Next thing is that Arnold finally catch up with Zach's mom. And um, over the course of this conversation, he realizes that he's not in fact a suspect because he does live with them, but that he's beating um, Zach and his mom. So he sort of says like, you know, I won't do anything now, but if he does it again, I'm going to press charges. So just important to bring that up because that comes back again later. Yes. So uh, we come back to California now and we see uh, Cindy, who's the girl from the beginning and the only witness to the drug deal. Um, And uh, she kind of is in like this little like marketplace and ends up getting drugs from a guy. And it turns out that uh, the person who has supplied these drugs is actually Crisp's mom. (laughs) Ruh, here's my here's my problem with this scene. Right. One, this is their only eyewitness. Why is she not in witness protection? And if she's not in protection, why are there not cops following her around to see who she goes and sees? Yeah, it does seem like an an odd off thing. I mean, I guess maybe they can't hold her, but like you would think that they would want to be protecting her if this guy is as dangerous as he 
seems. And as it turns out, he is dangerous via his mom, whose drugs do something to her. I don't know if they're they must too have been- much drugs or, or if she laced them with cyanide or something. I don't quite know. But- they don't really establish it. They also don't establish that, like, you know, Crisp is this major drug lord, but nobody, not the cops, not anybody, knows that the mother exists. And she's like this, like, matriarchal, you know, gangster ringleader. Like, <laughs> she's a bad guy. Like, there's no mess yes. at all. Yeah, and we mentioned Goonies earlier. It almost feels like the relationship that the the lady in that has to like the the sons or whatever in, in Goonies has been a minute since I watched Goonies too. Like this kind of like weird old matriarch who's pulling the strings behind the scene or whatever. <laughs> um <Just> for Telly? <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. So uh anyway, Kimball goes for the date and the house uh, I notice is a little bit of a tip off because it's kind of like this like big expensive sort of house on a on a hill sort of more than a average teacher would be making with her salary and you know she sort of claims that it belongs to a, a friend that uh, loaned it to her after the divorce or whatever we never do meet this friend um or, or have any in, you know intro to who that person would be seems like they would be somebody that would have further information on on this character <laughs> all we find out is that the friend comes up for two weeks out of the year during the ski season Right. Yes. It seems like a big house to have for that. They're not exactly on the side of a uh, ski hill there or something like that. I I didn't know that there's a ski season in Oregon either. Like it doesn't track for me. (laughs) I mean, I would think there is. I mean, Oregon's pretty, I I don't know. I'm not an Oregon expert, but Oregon's pretty far north. I do know that Oregon is the site of um, the only rainforests that are in um, America. (laughs) Fun fact. (laughs) Um. But uh, getting off the Oregon uh, wagon there. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, he um, Dominic wants to show him his secret hiding spot. So he brings him out to this like sort of like hedges or whatever that he's like um, built these like tinfoil lasers. And he says to him that he's built these lasers to protect them from the bad people. Now, this is sort of um, something that starts to like tip Kimball off because he's like, oh, bad people interested now. I, I had a little point here for myself and I was curious if you thought this or noticed it too, that he sort of like shows him that he wants to put these lasers up on like this um, radio tower. Did that radio tower look like a matte painting to you? Yes, it was. It was definitely, you know, forced perspective, like a backdrop. Like they were probably on a set somewhere for that particular shot. It's interesting because there's like, they cut to this shot of it and there's like a, like a Range Rover or something like kind of coming down a hill, but the shot looks really unnatural in a way like the the radio tower in the sky don't seem natural so i'm really curious if they um put a matte painting in that to cover up some other you know weird looking thing or something like that to make the tower stand out more i could be totally wrong it could just be like a really pretty shot they got at sunset or something but i don't know it really almost struck me as a matte painting for some reason in that so i was just like oh the other funny moment about that is like uh joyce asked kimball to make a fire and and Dominic's going to show them where the wood is to get the fire. We never get the wood. We never build the fire. We just, we learn about the lasers. We learn about the tower. And we learn about the bad people, but we don't ever get the fire. It's a good point. Yeah. Because then basically when they come back in the house, he sort of having been tipped off for this decides to start searching the house. So I don't know that he even does the fire. He just starts like really trying to like, you know, creeps up to the second floor and he starts looking through her drawers and everything, trying to see if he can find any information. 
Um, I did have a note here that um, Dominic's bid has all Ghostbusters bed set. I awesome. saw that too. I noticed that as well. <laughs> nice little 90s uh, um, perk. I, I, I think I, we've been I, getting some good insight via kids' um, bedrooms in these movies. <laughs> isn't, isn't Ghostbusters also Ivan Reitman? It is, yes. Yep. <laughs> yep, so a little, little inside, uh, inside poke at that there. Um, and uh, ultimately, he ends up getting caught by Dominic when he like has like a near heart attack when he does. Um, but, you know, it, they have dinner, everything. He ends up talking to Joyce um, more about it. Um, because, uh, he sort of says like, oh, Dominic mentioned that you had to keep, um, the bad people away that you had to like move in the middle of the night. So Joyce finally comes clean that the husband's not in France, um, that, uh, that her husband tried to kidnap Dominic, but she doesn't really get into like the drug dealing end of it. She just sort of says like, he's not, not who I, yeah, terrible person, not who I thought he was when I met him. And the funny part is I thought I'd stick a pin in this at this moment that this is one of these other questions I have that Joyce for all intents and purposes does not seem like a character that would have ended up with crisp for any reason. You know what I mean? Like, you know, even if he sort of like was lying about who he was, she didn't know he was a drug dealer or this sort of thing for her to have cultivated a relationship to a point where she actually had a child with him. Um, you know, they were at least together for a period of time. He's a, I don't know, he's a real creep. You know, there's nothing like really that seems like, you know, and she says she was young and all this sort of thing. So, I mean, you can kind of pass that off, but like, there's nothing about her that screams why she would be with a person like him. You know what I mean? But even still, like, so here's the thing. So Dominic, let's say he's six years old, right? So if she, if she had, if she had Dominic when she was, I don't know, 20? Then she'd be 26 at this time. She looks older than 26. She looks like she's in her 30s, you know? So Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have a hard time placing what the age of some of the people in this are, are necessarily meant to be, but I don't know. It just It just seemed like an odd sort of thing for me. Like, I don't know if it's that actress in particular or the character, the way it's written and acts. She's just like as sweet as pie and crisp is just as creepy and like, you know, I mean, like... <laughs> That's the funny thing about this movie, right? So, like, Crisp has zero redeemable qualities, even as a villain. Like, sometimes, you know, you, some characters have a redeemable quality, even if they're the villain. This guy is just a monster and, you know, creepy as anything. And it's funny because I, I IMDb'd him during watching the movie. He's actually in Black Hawk Down, which is one of my favorite movies. And I forgot that I hated him in that movie, too. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, the guy's just got one of these, like, perpetual scowl sort of faces. You know what I mean? So I think that that also kind of, like, lends to that a little bit. Um, anyway, I digress. <laughs> so so you know, he kind of um, is fairly sure that it's them at this point. And I think with due reasoning, because the story is really lending itself to the possibility of them being them. First of all, he's seeing this house and saying, like, if if the money is playing a factor, this would be, like, a really good indicator that you know they bought this really expensive house with that and this sort of thing right um they haven't known the father since he was a baby and they established earlier in the movie that like she left when he was still a baby and everything um so it, it seems real a real good possibility that you know they might be the people interestingly phoebe does not agree with this she's really ruling 
um, them out. And th- we get this in that scene where um, they're at the school and she kind of comes and sort of says, like, I went and looked into this. Like, it turns out it is the, the case. The house does belong to this other guy. I don't know that it's them, you know, because essentially she has like a thousand dollars in her bank account. That's why she's ruling it out. They're really fixating on that money thing again here. Which comes back, you know, because again, they're looking for this three million dollars. I think that's what Crisp wants. Um, the funny thing about this is like Phoebe makes a very good point in this scene, though, where she says you like her. So you want it to be her because you don't want any attachments. And I thought that was a very good character point that she makes. It's one of the few like real poignant things that she says in the movie that I'm like, yes, Kimball would kind of think like that. Okay, sure. Yes, he likes this girl that he wants it to be her because he doesn't want he's he's afraid of being a relationship because this idea of fear kind of plays a couple times in the movie. First, being afraid of the kids, then having this fear dream about Crisp and now being afraid of a relationship with Joyce. Exactly. So kind of coming up after this scene, which, of course, is the scene where that other lady shows up with like the, the horse and the expensive stuff and everything for the fair. Um, we see that Zach shows up late to school and he's kind of like, you know, puts his arm around his back a little bit. and He kind of winces away. So we realize he's hurt. So he ends up going outside to confront um, Zach's mom. And um, funny enough, the father is there across the street in the car. I guess he must have dropped them off. Um, and so he runs up to the guy and confronts him and he's like, you hit the kid. I hit you. And he, you know, hits him and knocks him down. He's I'm going to press charges. And the principal, for whatever reason, has come outside, um, as well as some other people and sort of sees this outside. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Sort of sees this. And I don't know why people would have known that this was about to go down, but for some reason that's the case. But, um, I should, they have this great sort of scene after that where, um, the principal brings him to his office and he sort of thinks that he's in trouble, you know, with her. And, um, she's like, you know, I looked you up and I, I see that you have no record of teaching anywhere. And, um, you know, she's like, I, I have no kind of idea of what sort of police officer you are, but you're a very good teacher. And they sort of have this like nice reconcile moment, right. you know, where she's like, she's realizing that like, he's really in it for the kids and everything now at this point. Um, and she's like, uh, how to how to feel to hit that guy and he's that son of a bitch, you know, and it's like, oh, it felt great, you know, so, <laughs> and I like her. She's just like swinging her arms around after the fact. So, yeah, she's a fun character, too, and she's a great uh, actress. I've seen her in a bunch of other things over yeah. time as well. So, um, of course, girlfriend turns up dead. There goes the case and they have to let Crisp um, walk because there's now no witness and no uh, evidence to him gun. murdering and no other further evidence. Um, and, uh, you know, so they're at the fair and, um, you know, basically this is where things start to come a little bit apart. Now they do the Gettysburg address with the kids. And I don't know about you, but I thought this was a a difficult thing for kids that age to try and memorize in a a kindergarten class. You know what I mean? Yeah, Um, definitely not an easy speech to remember because there are certain you know, vocabulary words in there that are pretty hard for a kid. Inalienable rights, perhaps. Yes. <laughs> but yes, but it's cute. They give each kid like one line to say in the speech. And it's, it's really kind of, it's, it's a good little moment. It's fun. And you see that he's like happy to you know see them doing well. And you can see like his mindset is changing from being this hard nosed 
cop to this lovable teacher. And yeah, this is the real I mean, it's actually I think it's really cleverly crafted because it's a real kind of turning point because the principal introduces him as the new kindergarten teacher. And she actually even says, I hope he stays on on a permanent basis, um, which is interesting because, you know, it, her knowing his background now, essentially, she's inviting him to stay as a, as a teacher permanently. Um, with no license. But, <laughs> with no right, license. Yes, with no license. Yeah. And he gets a, a huge standing ovation for whatever reason from the crowd and everything. Um, but, uh, you know, this is, um, kind of where this turning point comes because he's finally basically seen success as a teacher and he's acknowledged for that. And now that's all about to get thrown back out the window again. And he has to kind of become the cop again. Um, because at this exact moment, crisp shows up in the town. Now I thought they had kind of an interesting series of scenes with crisp. And I think part of this is to delve a little deeper on this character who we've been told is a bad guy, but we haven't really seen why he's a bad guy. So he goes into this toy store and he wants to buy this like little um, RC race car set that he sees in the window. And of course this guy comes in um, Daryl, who's like a mechanic or something. And he happens to be buying that very last car set from the window. So he's offering him two times and four times what the track is worth and he's turning him down and everything. Um, so we're like, we know this isn't going to end up well cut back to the fair and Phoebe has come out and said, like, we've run out of time. We have to press Joyce on this. So they both kind of come clean to Joyce. Joyce flips out. She's like, there's no money. There never was. He's after Dominic. He takes Dominic. Um, the bad people have found us again. We got to go. I made a little note here that she drives a geo tracker. Very nice. <laughs> but I, I remember the geo tracker from, from way back in the 90s. I think I knew a few few uh, friends whose parents had those. It was a very popular car at that time. Very Yes, popular. they got to they gotta bring that back. That would be, you know, every once in a while, they bring some random old car back. I don't know. know Volkswagen geo- bug and things like that. They got to bring back the geo tracker. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know who would make a geo tracker anymore. I don't even know that company. I don't know. <laughs> Is anybody besides me asking for it? I'm not so sure. <laughs> Let us know on our socials if you'd like to see the Geo Tracker make a return. <laughs> you know what a Geo Tracker is? That would be great. Yes. <laughs> so um, again, we're flipping back and forth here. So it cuts back to Crisp and Daryl. He sort of um, approaches him at Daryl's truck, and he um, beats him up, takes the toy, goes to the grandmother, and he's like, "Look, mother, look what I found for our our little." Um, I think his name is, um, Colin, Colin Jr. Yes. <laughs> Jr. He is so creepy. <laughs> um, and she, meanwhile, is at a pharmacy buying like a thousand different children's medications. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, this is so creepy. And she, uh, he's like, oh, what are you going to stuff this crap down his throat? For, or, or you're going to make him sick. You stuff this crap down my throat for years. And she's like, well, look how you turned out. And he's like, I can't argue with that, I guess. <laughs> it's just like, oh, you know, like, you know, kind of as you were saying, there's nothing redeemable about this character. But like the one thing that you do get insight into, and it's an interesting choice I think they make, is that this character might be largely the way he is because his mother it's, is it's, so weird. <laughs> and, and, and you get that picture really clear in this moment and a few other times where he's almost like a Norman Bates kind of a character. Yes, yes. You know, and highly manipulated by, a you know, a, an abusive, torturous, overbearing mother. And 
she's really the true villain of the movie because she essentially made him the way he is. Yeah, and she's got, for whatever reason, she really wants this grandchild and like she's very fixated on it. Um, as we find out almost more than than he is later on. Um, anyway, cuts back to Kimball and Phoebe. They en- end up at Joyce's house. I think Phoebe's with him, maybe not. No, he's uh, and that by himself. House is a mess. Um, you know, she's been very frantically packing and things like that. And she runs into him finally, and she's like, I can't find Dominic. And he knows she's where Dominic has gone to. And she's Yes. Yeah. He knows where Dominic's gone to. He's gone to that possibly matte painted <laughs> now real um tower. Um, because uh, as Dominic had noted earlier, he had to hide his lasers so the bad people couldn't get them. Right. Um, so he climbs the radio tower. Um, uh, we cut to Dominic climbing the radio tower and a, uh, a pigeon flies up and scares him and he falls off and he kind of gets stuck and Kimball shows up in the nick of time and climbs up and grabs him off and they go back home. Now, and all is forgiven. <laughs> yes. Well, yes, in a way. Yes. I was about to say all the panic seems to have um, jumped out now and maybe with, with due reason because now there's this armed police officer essentially that's there and knows um, to look out for Crisp and all this sort of thing, but they're back at the house and Dominic's asleep and, you know, they're, they're sort of, um, you know, reconciling a little bit and um, she still wants to run. And she, she's talking a little bit further about how Crisp lied about um, her having the money so that it would get more people, almost like a bounty to essentially yeah. try and, you know, look them up. It's a very clever sort of thing because now even the government is after them because right. they want to get that money back. So it's kind of like, you know, Crisp had a very, smart idea and sort of lying about that sort of thing and letting that be known. Um, you know, and, and they get into this kind of more, you know, honest conversation with each other now. And he's like, I'm a cop. I, it's all I know how to be. And he's talking about his son and ex-wife and, um, you know, telling her like, you know, he's become attached to them. He doesn't want to lose her or Dominic and they kiss, <laughs> you know, we, we finally have that um, big connection between the two of them. Yeah. So they essentially decide to stay for now and we end up back at the school. Um, and uh, Phoebe has now um, come to help out um, with the class finally, which again, I don't know why she wasn't TAing like that all along, but she's finally here. But and uh, as, like, you know, they essentially come up with a plan to make Dominic and Joyce bait essentially. Yeah, somewhat. Yes. And and with the two of them able to watch out for because they won't know Phoebe, you know, he would only be able to possibly spot um, Kimball. Correct. Yes. Um, and uh, Phoebe visits the class. And again, this is where that little like boys have a penis, girls have a vagina comes up again. And uh, she's like, oh, good. You taught them the basics. That's important. You know, <laughs> like again, great, like sort of response to it. Um, and they have this um, conversation about strangers. We never talk to strangers, you know. Um, meanwhile, Crisp is right next door chatting with the principal and telling her that he wants to move his family there. And he was sent from, I think, from Arizona or something and wanted yeah. to like, come spot the place first. Um, and so she brings him to see the kindergarten class. And of course, uh, they're looking through the glass and he spots Kimball coming out of this pile of kids like, Roar! you know, uh, popping up out of the group. and. Um, so uh, he, I think, grabs a hold of his mom or something who's maybe somewhere haunting outside. And he's like, I found Colin Jr. Um, so he goes back in the school into the library and he starts a fire. He lights several of the, the books on, in the library and fire. 
So, of course, we get an evacuation. Dominic grabs the ferret. They evacuate. Uh, because it's a real fire this time, there's smoke out in the hallway. Every other class is like really freaking out. His class is doing good because they went through their whole uh, police school training and they're they're really good at it. Um, but as they're exiting, one of the little girls gets knocked down and he becomes separated um, from Dominic. And at this yeah. point, of course, Crisp grabs Dominic and all the other kids that spot that start um, doing the stranger alert. Stranger, stranger, you know. Um, which, which I so, to this day still go stranger danger stranger yes yes <laughs> that's yeah I don't I think I was ever putting two and two together this is where that came from that that's that's good that we've pieced that puzzle together finally you're welcome um, <laughs> yes <laughs> so uh, he has his gun in his ankle holster he pulls it out and he starts um, searching the school um, Joyce goes back in the school even though it's a burning school after Dominic. Um, and Crisp uh, is, for whatever reason, staying in the building. Um, he isn't like trying to. I think he's trying to find an exit, but for some reason, he's having this really bizarre time. Like, how do you get out of this place? That's the thing I don't understand. Like, he and his mother went there together. They didn't stake out the school beforehand to figure out. You know, once I set the fire and I get the kid, where am I meeting you to get out of this building? There's no yeah, and for that. none. And typically schools aren't like mazes or something like that. I mean, usually there's exit signs everywhere. So I don't know. He's, he's very frustrated and moving like he's going like up floors, down floors. Like, I don't know. It's very funny. He's trying to, to find his way around and um, he's sort of, uh, you know, takes Dominic into a room and um, he's saying that he's a fireman, but of course Dominic is questioning him and he finally tells him, Oh, I'm your dad. Do- you know, Dominic, I'm your father. So he tells Dominic he's a firefighter. Dominic says, oh, where's your hat? And he's like, oh, my kid's so smart. He, you know, and then he kind of like tells him that he's his son, but the kid doesn't believe him. And he kind of like tries to like force the kid to like accept that. Yeah. He's his dad, you you gotta believe me, dummy. Yeah, he's like really shaking him and everything like that. Um, Kimball's running around the school in the meantime, trying to figure out where they are. He opens that closet. And of course, that's where we end up with. Um, Ivan Reitman's son. I'm blanking on his name at the moment. <laughs> Jason, Jason Reitman. Jason Reitman. Thank you. Um, and uh, he sends them out. He's like, the school's really on fire. Get out of here. Meanwhile, cut to the grandmother um, sees Phoebe and she hits her with her car and takes her gun. Yeah. Um, which obviously comes back to one of my uh, favorite lines later on here. Um, Rachel, who's running around the school, runs into Crisp and Dominic. Um, and, Rachel, who's uh, also Joyce. Right, correct. We've known her as Joyce, but her real name is Rachel. Yes, I forgot to point that out. Thank you. Um, I've changed over in my notes here to her proper name. So um, uh, he punches her and runs away, and Dominic um, runs and hides. Um, and they're kind of down almost like in this, um, like a school locker room, yes, like yeah. gym locker room type of area now. Yeah. So um, Kimball comes in, and uh, Chris puts a gun to Dominic's head, um, which again, you know, if he's stuck in that scenario, I guess that's what you do. But it seems like an odd character choice. Really but, just unlikable guy. <laughs> right. but, but even Kimball says, like, you know, he's like, he's not a hostage. He's your son. Right. And, you know, but Kimball doesn't seem to care. Like, all he cares about is, you know, his own his own hide, if you will. You know? Yes. So he has Kimball drop his gun. And at this moment in time, the ferret who we've seen with Dominic finally comes out, and even though we've been told several times in this movie he doesn't bite, bites Crisp, right? right, right <laughs> um, and 
Kimball uses this distraction to kill Crisp. Really just shoots him well, um, down well, dead. Well, Crisp also gets a gunshot off and shoots Kimball in the leg. And then Kimball grabs his gun and, and pops him and kills him. Correct. Right? Yes. And we, we're not like 100%, but we can tell that, that Kimball's been hurt. And at this point, the grandmother shows up and she sees a trail of blood. And we realize that um, Kimball has kind of crawled off to this corner of the showers and um, she comes in. So here's the thing. No, she comes in, sees her son dead, sees right. Kimball against a locker, and shoots Kimball in the shoulder. Well, she starts, like, at first, like, where's my grandson? And she's shooting, like, you know, the uh, the wall near him, and then she she shoots him. No, actually. Oh, no, you're right. You are right. You're right. Yes. She shoots him first. He gets away. Then he's in the showers, and he's kind of sitting in the corner, and she shoots around him. And says, where's the grandson? That's right. Yes, you are correct. This is what happens when you watch it today and you remember. not Versus when I watched it a week and a half ago. Yes. <laughs> um, so at any rate, um, Phoebe comes in with a bat and bam, lays out the grandmother. And my favorite one. Times. It's so good. <laughs> not so tough without your car, are you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I just love it. I love her. She's so great. Um, so good. Um, I wish she was in more stuff because she's like, yes, she's so good in this movie and she's so fun. So long story short, Kimball comes out on a stretcher. The kids run up to him. Are you all right, Mr. Kimball? That one kid's like super nasally. Um, a funny thing is he does a series of videos. That kid now all grown up on YouTube talking behind the scenes of this movie. Really? And he was mentioning that like while they were rehearsing that he tripped and scraped his ankle or his knee. And um, Ivan Reitman uh, saw that and the kid was actually crying. So they're like, let's go and get this take. Cause he was actually crying <laughs> because of his knee oh um, during that shot. It's so um, cool, Ivan Reitman. <laughs> I know. Yeah. But there's a fascinating series of videos that he did where he talks a little bit about further about things that his character did or was supposed to do that, that got cut from the movie. So um, worth checking him out on YouTube. I don't unfortunately have his uh, name to give you, but you can look him up uh, behind the scenes on on uh, on uh, Kindergarten Cop. We'll bring him up. Mm. So anyway, we cut to uh, Kimball in the hospital. He's healing a few days later and he's eating jello and he hates it. And I wanted to point out me too. <laughs> I am not a, a jello guy. I like the jello pudding. Um, I'm not big on on wiggly wobbly jello. Where do you stand on jello? <laughs> I like red jello. I could, I could eat red. Red. Jello. I think everybody's like, you know, that's that's like the stock standard. Yeah. <laughs> if you give me like some green jello, no thank you. Or like <laughs> none of that. Red is good. I, I I don't mind red, you know. Well, as it happens, Phoebe comes in and mentions that tough guys don't eat jello, so I'm a tough guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Keep telling yourself that. Good. Yes. <laughs> So uh, the next point is that Henry, the bumbling fiance, comes in and like Actually, smacks his cord. <laughs> moments before that, right? So like they kind of have this like nice little moment together. And Phoebe kisses him on the lips. Yeah, I'm going to kiss you. <laughs> and it's like the most weird thing. So I'm like, you're his partner. He's in love with this other woman. You're getting married, but yet you kissed him on the lips <laughs> like a loving 
I don't know. Well, it wasn't. I mean, it was like a peck. It wasn't like, you know, but like, yeah, those on the lips uh, kisses are are odd in circumstances like that. But yeah, it's weird. I don't know if they just couldn't get the right angle for him to turn his head enough that he'd get him on the cheek. And they kiss yes. on the lips. I'm like, OK, <laughs> odd choice, but sure. OK, they're two cops, whatever. Fine. Yeah, go ahead. But yes, then then the, the fiance comes in and, uh, you know. Yes, he's going to ask him if he's going to come for the wedding. And you have to, they say sort of like, you'll have to let us know where we need to send the invitation, which is kind of this like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, like, where is, uh, where are you going to be? Are you going to be back as a cop? You know, I, or are you going to stay I, I here? I'm making point of this. In your notes, it says Coke to the wedding, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You have to point Which that is out. why I skipped that because I have no clue what I was asking. <laughs> I think it was meant to say coming, but I think my uh, my phone auto corrected on me. Yeah, so to a totally different kind of party. <laughs> yes. So we cut to the school. Mister Kimball is walking back through the school with a cane. Uh, the school's being repaired from all the damage from the fire. The kids are, are, you know, sitting quietly in a class doing an activity and the principal brings them in. She says, it's all your, they're all yours. And he blows his whistle. The kids are surprised. I'm back. So I thought it was fun that he was back before the I'll be back. <laughs> yes. Right. This is this is the precursor to the I'll be back that we're going to get like later in the uh, in the year. Yes, that's true. It's very yeah. true. <laughs> So um, the kids are all excited to see him. Uh, Rachel slash Joyce um, comes and sees him and she runs in and he picks her up and they kiss and it's a happy ending. And I guess he's a teacher now. (laughs) So like he picks her up, he's carrying her, throws the cane down. He's got this big brace on his leg. He's got a gunshot wound in the shoulder, which they kind of just kind of wrote out of the whole thing because he's not in a sling of any sort. But yeah, he's holding her, twirling her around like his leg is perfectly fine. Gives her a big kiss. The kids all cheer. And now he's a teacher. Gave up yep. his entire career. Like, <laughs> gave up his, you know, like, and you have to assume this is only a couple of days since the incident. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the interesting things um, is that they kind of make out at different points in this movie, like only a few days have gone by in between some of these things. You know what I mean? So all told, he's maybe been teaching there for like, if we have to like piece together the timing, I would say 12, maybe days. a month. You know what I mean? Like it's not been terribly long. It seems I, I'd say, yeah, probably a month. I'd say maybe 20 school days, if you will. <laughs> yeah. And again, you know, like they said in the beginning of the movie, they're only four weeks into the new semester. So I don't know if that means that this is a, uh, cause I can't quite tell from the weather. Um, if this is a fall semester, and that he's going to be now teaching through the rest of the year. I guess it wouldn't be a winter one because even in Oregon, it'd be pretty cold. You'd think it'd be pretty snowy if it was the January, February end of the year. So I'm assuming it's in the fall. I mean, the, the fair, they had all T-shirts on and shorts. So it's got to be yeah. probably, probably like October, maybe out there. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Or take. So anyway, what's your take on Kindergarten Cop? Well, as I mentioned earlier, like this is kind of a tale of two movies because the bookends of the movie are a violent action movie. And the rest of it is like this little family fun kid. Sweet, silly. Yeah. Um, Overall, I really enjoyed the movie. It's a lot of fun. It brought back a lot of fond memories of seeing it as a kid. 
it also brought back a lot of memories of or or thoughts of gee this is not a family movie and, <laughs> you know i feel like certain things were cut out of the film for time um i do think that ivan reitman did the the school part of the film really good i don't know if the action sequence were as, as good as they could have been because he's not an action adventure you know gun shooting director kind of a, a person you know yeah i mean i'm not going to take away from him that he can't do action because you know if you think of things like ghostbusters and some of the other movies that he has produced over time you know i'm not saying that any stretch that he's like a action director but i mean i'm not going to also say in the same vein that he's bad at it per se oh no i don't think um, i just think that the, the 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 shot composition in some of the scenes especially in the beginning not so much the end in the locker room but the beginning yeah. a little bit like it just didn't feel right like i don't know it was trying to be something that it wasn't and I, again i think the funny thing for me is as this stands out is in the beginning it's like you know he's so gritty and he's like you know, he's popping into these places with these shotguns and, you know, like, especially when you have Arnold Schwarzenegger in your head and you're thinking of things like Terminator and, and, you know, like Total Recall and how the action scenes play out in those. I don't know. It just, it, as you sort of say, the funny thing about this movie, and I think it's this way somewhat on purpose, is it treads between this area where it's like trying to be very hardcore action at moments in the beginning and then trying to juxtapose itself against the more like romantic comedy family movie vibe of the rest of it. So the scene in particular, the, the only scene I feel like that just like doesn't hold water when it comes to the action stuff is that one where he goes through that drug den trying to find Cindy. And it's almost because they're trying to do like a bombastic, you know, yeah. I got to knock all these guys out, but it also feels silly because he's being kind of goofy in that scene. He's kind of like, yeah, Hello, Cindy. I'm here to like haunt you, you know, sort of thing. Like, I don't know. It it does seem a little silly and funny, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's not like, um, like I'm thinking back on it, and it's very similarly constructed to Twins because Twins in the beginning of the movie and Twins in the end of the movie is bookended by these like action scenes with like you know some sort of villain or something like that, like and. The, the middle portion of it is, you know, this story about two brothers on an adventure together. It's this fun sort of buddy comedy. But the but the middle and the beginning and end of the movie are violent, essentially, like they're action sequences. Yeah, well, again, like with the Schwarzenegger-Reitman pairing, you know, a lot of people consider those three to be kind of like the trilogy of, of, of that grouping. So I can see why there might be similarities um, between the three of them. And even, you know, like, again, more fun facts, like behind the scenes stuff, like before Arnold Schwarzenegger was cast as Kimball, um, uh, the role had been offered to people like Bill Murray, who turned it down flatly, I'm, I'm to understand, and also um, Danny DeVito, um, who also uh, did not end up obviously taking this part. So there's a few others as well. Really? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, Reitman has his crew of people that he definitely likes to work with. Um, so um, you know, I, I think, I don't know. I, I think this is also a good pairing. Um, I've said it way before, way earlier, and probably one of the first episodes, probably the first episode of this podcast that, you know, this is among my very top favorite, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, movies. I, this is one of my favorites. You know, I love him. You have to sort of separate out in my mind, the action and the comedy movies. Like as far as the comedy ones go, this is probably my favorite. 
Yeah, me too. And fun fact for moviegoers out there, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger's favorite movie that Arnold Schwarzenegger has ever done. Really? Um, he was, uh, yeah, he had done an uh, interview with James Corden a few years back, um, and when asked about what's his favorite movie, he said that this was his, his top one. Really? Um, so, yeah. And, you know, you know, uh, he kind of cites some reasons why, and I think there's some other things leading into it. You know, like he had had his first child um, in 89. So, you know, he's coming into this movie dealing with kids as he himself is, you know, having his own first child and things like that. Um, and he says, you know, like if you listen to this interview with James Corden, he sort of says that um, he had been really trying to get more into the comedic end of things for a while. And he was really trying to push that and do some more of it. And that between this movie and the script and dealing with the kids and a bunch of things that he just really, really um, enjoyed working on it. So he thinks it's for him, one of his better, you know, pieces of work. Can you find that and put it on our social so, so that people could see that interview? Cause I'm, I'm interested in watching it myself. I think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. I'll see if I can't, uh, if I can't link, link the video in there somehow, um, or at least uh, I'll put it maybe in the show notes, something like that. Yeah. Um, cause I don't know. Get in trouble with posting copyrighted stuff or something. No, I mean, if it's a YouTube link, just can't you share the YouTube link on our socials? Yes, definitely. Yeah, I can share that around on our on our socials. Yeah, for sure. Right. I didn't mean just bootleg it. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I was saying. Um, overall, I, I do think this is one of my probably top five Schwarzenegger movies that he's done. And, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's a really sweet movie at times. It's got interesting you know, elements to it. I think, you know, it's, it's cast pretty well. I think, you know, the, a yeah. lot, the, the supporting cast around him really helps sell the, the comedy of the movie and, and make it, you know, a fun thing. I don't think it's as family friendly as they would have wanted it to be in 1990, but it's, it's, you know, parts of it are, um, I just, I, I love Phoebe. I think she's a great character in the movie. Uh, I think the kids in the class are hilarious, and even Schwarzenegger has some of the some of his most iconic lines. Other than you know, "Hasta la vista, baby," and I'll be back. You know, yeah. I'm a cop, you idiot. It's got to be up there as like number two or number three after those. For sure. You know, and again, you know, I think you have to give this movie credit, and I could be a little off in saying this, but I don't think I'm too far off that this sparks a genre of like the fish out of water. You know tough guy either dealing with kids or dealing with scenarios where, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, he's supposed to be doing, you know, I'm thinking of movies like the pacifier. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, my daughter has a favorite in the, um, John Cena movie. I think it's called playing with fire. Um, that came out, um, in the past couple of years here, the rock, um, club, you know, the game plan where he's a, a football player who's got to take care of his daughter. The tooth fairy. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> with him. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty sure that this movie kind of creates that genre. Now I'm not going to say like, there's no other movies where you have some like, you know, grizzled type of character with younger kids or things like that. I mean, movies like bad news bears and like things like that come to mind. Um, but I feel like this particular genre of like the action star being paired up against like a group of kids and things like that really is birthed out of this. You could even look at it like, uh, you know, the mighty ducks kind of, you know, stems from this, you know, Emilio Estevez prior to that was always, you know, you think of him like in young guns and, you know, stuff like that, or the outsiders or what have you. And then he's in this, you know, comedy, you know, fish out of water, guy gets fired from his job is to take care of the kids. And you're right. 
I think a lot of it kind of stems from this movie as like a way of making, you know, the tough guy look softer, you know, and, and be funny. Yeah. And I think too, Mighty Ducks is actually kind of an interesting example to bring up where it's also one of these like studies in characters going from thinking they want to be one thing to realizing that they actually want to do this other thing via the experience that they go through. You know right, what I mean? Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's also another really um, interesting one. I can't wait till we get to the Mighty Ducks. Movie. Oh, I can't. You guys wait. don't know how much I love the Mighty Ducks. I movies. love the Mighty Ducks. Oh, that's going to be, that's the problem. When you go into a movie that you love so much, it's very hard to look at it objectively, but I'll try. <laughs> no, it's true, but it's funny, you know, like, and, and we'll get to it when we get to them, but like, I'm a big hockey person and that all birthed out of like the 1994 rangers era nobody i knew in my town was like a hockey person so i had a one friend that was a hockey family and i had you know hockey friends so i got way into that so the mighty ducks was like loved that stuff when that came along all right well we're gonna bring the train into the station here because we have uh hopefully done a lot of justice to uh kindergarten cop and we did it under an hour and 40, uh, an hour and 50 minutes. Look at yes, that. we sure did. <laughs> so uh, why don't you let us know your thoughts about Arnold Schwarzenegger and Kindergarten Cop by contacting us on our socials. Do you want to take the socials this time? Sure. You can find us on Twitter at Box Office 330, on Facebook at Box Office 330, and on Instagram, Box Office 330. T-H-I-R-T-Y. And you can now check out us on our T Public store, which I don't know what that social is. So Pete, what is that? One? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the best way to find our, our T Public store, I am putting it in the show notes last episode. I'll put them in this episode again. But you can also always go find all of our episodes plus um, extra information like that over at our website, boxoffice30, also with a 30.com. Um, where you can find our stuff. You can also find us um, over on the Retro Network. Um, they uh, are kindly always hosting us there and they um, go out of their way to um, post some wonderful things about us. We're always very thankful to uh, the guys over at the Retro Network for supporting us. You can find us there as well. I must point out, Pete and I talk every single day. <laughs> I had no idea our website was even up yet. <laughs> I mean, I've mentioned it like several times during the show, so that's on you. <laughs> this is breaking news for me, folks. Break. <laughs> I think I mentioned that every time at the end. <laughs> I never heard it once. Where you can find us, where all all fine podcasts are downloaded in boxoffice30.com. <laughs> never heard it. Well, not once. This is the first time. <laughs> okay. Good. All right. So if 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 that's the case, let us know on our socials at Knizzle. <laughs> you can you can tweet it at Knizzle and tell them if you've heard of boxoffice30.com on previous episodes. <laughs> you got me, folks. But until next time, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you in the theaters. No, we won't, because theaters are closed. Well, our- <laughs> damn it. We, we still can't get past that. <laughs> I We'll figure it out at some point. See you next time. Bye, friends. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.